see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. Welcome, everybody, to the first edition of Under Review. We hope will be a entertaining and useful Rangers podcast. We uh, we hope to be a podcast that doesn't just take shots at the Rangers unnecessarily. We're certainly not going to be a podcast that praises the Rangers no matter what they do, and it's not going to be a podcast that just looks to review games and sort of give you a rote "here's where the team is now in the standings" podcast. We want to be a podcast to get Ranger fans to think. We're going to give what we hope will be thoughtful discussions on topics around the team based on what's just happened and in many ways, more importantly, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, so with that said, I welcome in Stat Boy Steven and Jack Filippi as the three of us are going to get into this. And one place we want to start, gentlemen, right away, because it was such a spectacle and our friend Steven had a chance to experience it was the the stadium series game and the whole event that took place this past weekend. As we record this on Wednesday afternoon, the 21st, Stephen was there on the 18th at uh, MetLife Stadium. Uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a great event. Uh, we got there at 930 in the morning. Uh, parking lots opened at 10. Um, but it was there were there were already people waiting in line just to get into the parking lots. Um, I'd never done a tailgate before, you know, growing up in Europe, it's not really a thing here. So for me, that was a whole new experience, but there were so many fans and the Rangers fans, Islanders fans, and the tailgate itself was already a great experience. But then the game, yeah, it's my second time at MetLife Stadium. I was there for a Giants game, uh, earlier this season, but to, to be there for a Rangers game against the Islanders, it was such a spectacle. Uh, over 70,000, I think 78,000 people there for the Ranger game. Um, and the game itself too, like 11 goals. Uh, what more can you hope for? And the Rangers got a win. Uh, but this was, it was my second outdoor game after going to City Field in 2018. Uh, this is definitely one of those, one of those games that if you were there, you're going to remember for years and years to come. I think the outdoor games in general are a great way for the NHL to grow the game. And well, Jack, I, the Rangers I, remain undefeated on these outdoor games. Are now and five yeah, years. five and oh, five and oh, Rangers undefeated still, which it didn't look like it with uh, four minutes to go, but they, they pulled it out. They pulled it out in the end. That's definitely one of the crazier games of my lifetime, especially with the uh, obviously outside the playoffs, but especially with the setup of the stadium series a three goal comeback and then two goals late with only four minutes left. That's just Beyond, I did, obviously I just watched it on TV. So, Stephen, what was it like? What was that roar in stadium like? Because on TV, it didn't sound like a MSG roar. It sounded more of like a football roar, where it's a little more distant, but a yeah. little—I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't as an, personal as an MSG roar. But how, what was the sound in the arena like? In the stadium, like? Yeah, it—it's it, right. It was kind of like a, a football vibe because there's so many more people, and you're a little bit further away from the ice, but. What really stood out to me, and one moment that I will remember forever, is uh, is not so much like a, a certain goal or even the Met Rempe fight. Uh, we'll talk about Rempe later. But what really will stick with me is when Panarin scored the winner in overtime 
uh, 10 seconds in and they, they go to review the goal, I've never heard 78,000 people that quiet waiting for the call. Like the moment the referee skated from the from the scorer's box back to the middle of the ice, the whole stadium went silent. Everybody wanted to hear the call. And when the referee said after review, we have a good goal, the stadium erupted and it was it was it was so special. Like to to have that moment, I get chills just talking about it. That moment was was more memorable than than any of the goals they scored. So, so what was the uh, what was the divide in the arena? Was it 60-40, 50-50? Uh it was probably uh like 60-40, maybe uh uh like like 65-35 uh majority range of fans, but uh from my experience looking at the section I was in, uh it wasn't like it was it was 90% Rangers. It was it was like a, a 2 to 3 ratio, I'd say. Okay. So off of that game, uh, Rangers, as we, again, as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, have a season-high eight-game winning streak. Uh, Blake Wheeler, as we all know, is, is out for the season. And a uh, couple of noteworthy performances recently that we should touch on right here at the top, which is Capo Caco looks like a much more confident player coming off the uh, the injury and certainly coming out of the coming out of the All-Star break. And Igor Shosturkin turned in an Igor Shosturkin performance, certainly not in the stadium series. He said the two people who didn't enjoy that spectacle, obviously, were he and Sorokin. But but last night against Dallas, he just had that Igor confidence seemed to be exuding from him throughout the game. Yeah, so I'm hoping a lot of people listening to this are also people that jump into our spaces in the intermissions. And as me and Steven have talked about a lot, especially when, we, when in regards to Hakako, especially after he came back from his injury, it seemed like Mika and Kreider, maybe in the first half, you know, pretended like they wanted to play below below the goal line, pretended like they wanted to cycle with him. But with that second stand after he came back, there was just, they, they weren't even faking it. It was those two up at the top of the zone, dancing around, doing nothing, or just a bunch of one and dones. And Kako just in that game is completely invisible. But with him playing now with Cooley, and Brzezinski, guys that play below the goal line, guys that can that can forecheck, that guys that are willing to forecheck, it's a different Kako. And I I thought from from the start that Cooley would be the perfect winger to play with him because he plays not obviously he does he doesn't play everything like Laf, but they do both handle the puck below the goal line well. And that was probably the winger that Kako has found the most success with back when he was on the kid line. So now having Cooley and Kako down low cycling, uh, working off each other, it's just this is a whole new Kako right now. Yeah, and um, I was talking uh, to someone about this online as well. Uh, the way Kako's playing now, uh, if the Rangers did not have a player like that on their team, that's the type of player Drury would target at the deadline. A player that 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 solidifies your middle six, that plays a really solid game. It doesn't always translate into points, even though Kako is a top five player in, in points since he came back from his injury, but just the way he plays. And if he plays with the right line mates, he's, he's, he's really useful and he's noticeable. Um, and yeah, that third line with Kuli and Bodzinski, there's no way you break that lineup. And, and I know we all want Kako to be more than this. We all want Kako to be that 70, 80 point player. Cause he was a second overall pick. 
But the way he's playing now, he's he's just a really important part of this Rangers machine moving forward. If he can if he can keep this up. So I want to get into Kako and whether he's the type of player the Rangers would be looking for at the deadline, rapidly approaching, just over two weeks away. And I think there's some truth to that, but I think there's an element that his game doesn't have that they're still looking for. But I want to talk about this line because obviously another bit of news that just came out today as you as we're recording this is Johnny Brzezinski was signed to a two-year extension. His cap hit each year will only be $875,500, which is a tremendous job in getting a, a useful NHL player for that amount. And most importantly for Johnny and his family, it's a one-way deal. So he's going to be getting his NHL money, which is which is great for him, even if he winds up somehow back in the minors. What I'm going to throw out to you guys is, and listen, he very well might stay. I don't want this to be a knock on Brzezinski because in many ways he's been a mini godsend on the season after the terrible situation surrounding Phil Heedle and, and the Rangers being so light in the center position that he's been able to form with Kako and Cooley, wingers who play just as you guys described. And they've 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 worked and they've been a very successful line. I'm of the belief, though, the Rangers still think they can do better at that third line center. So I'm of the opinion that it's I don't think it's crazy to think that by signing Brzezinski to such an NHL friendly contract, as far as the cap is concerned, that he becomes a valuable person to trade. Because to get the, the the elements that the Rangers think they need at the deadline, we all know a right wing, potentially this third line center, maybe some more size and toughness on the back line, maybe even fourth line, which we'll get to. They're going to have to trade somebody on the roster. It just can't be all draft picks. And if we're saying Kako is getting further and further away from the trade possibility, well, who does that leave? Jones? Maybe Gustafson? Brzezinski? I throw it out to you guys. There's 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 not a lot the Rangers can trade. And is it better to keep Brzezinski or still think they can upgrade that position with an Alexander Wenberg as it was discussed by Larry Brooks today in the in the New York Post? I think this is not a yes or no question. I think it's an equation. And I think the equation goes how much better? Because Brzezinski has been a good third line center in this stretch. Not a Oh, he's been okay in his like you know little limited role. No, no, he's been a good third line center on both sides of the puck. Expected goals wise, every metric you could find, they have played exceptional, especially as a trio with Cooley, Kako, and, and Brzezinski. So it's how much better is the center? Then how much? What is the contract situation of this other center look like? And I and I think and then how cheap can you get the player for? So. How cheap can you get the player for? How how big is that player's contract? And how much better are they than Brzezinski? And if those are not all positives, if the contract isn't really cheap, if the player isn't that much better than Brzezinski, and if the contract situation, excuse me, and if the price is too high, I just don't, Brzezinski's good enough. I think, I honestly do think at this point that Brzezinski has shown that he is good enough. Yeah, and, and I think it's not so much just Brodzinski, the player. It's more how that third line plays as a unit. And the way the third line's playing now, uh, like if you look at Brodzinski in a vacuum, you probably don't think he's good enough to be a third line center on a contender. But the way he's playing with Cooley and Paco, he is. 
and and as as a unit, that third line is definitely something I could see going going into into the playoffs with. Well, this is this is going to be interesting because again, we're getting close to the trade deadline, and I should probably say also near the top of our first podcast, at least for where we are with the Rangers now, the prism we're going to look at everything is: is this team capable of winning a Stanley Cup? It's implied in everything we say that this Ranger team is a good team. Again, as we record this, they're third in the league now in points percentage. They're second in the Eastern Conference, only behind the Red Hot Panthers. So clearly they're a good team. Clearly they're having a good season. But the prism is going to be, can they win a Stanley Cup? And I maintain Johnny Brzezinski as a third-line center is a tough situation for the Rangers to win the Stanley Cup, as good as he's been. I think you need somebody bigger, a little tougher to play against, especially, Stephen, getting back to your point about Kako. I think Kako does bring all the elements you you mentioned. The one thing he doesn't bring is, is a physicality. He's not that tough to play against sometimes. And again, now let's transition. This is why they brought up Matt Rempe. And this is why they have Adam Edstrom. And this is really fascinating now because with Blake Wheeler out, the Rangers have these monsters on the fourth line. Rempe in front of Steven had the fight one second into his career against Matt Martin. But it looks like the Rangers are giving these guys an audition, especially Rempe. I think Edstrom's there. I'll see what you guys take. But with six games left before the deadline, there's a little six-game audition of how they're going to get – because they were – we all said they were way too easy to play against. Now it's a little different with Rempe being an, an assassin there on the wing. Yeah, and and the only concern that you could have about Rempe is his limited usage. Although it's only two games into his career, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about that. Um, but the question is, um, is is Matt Rempe in the five minutes or so that he plays per game, is he more effective than Tyler Pitlick is in ten? And I think he is. I don't think Matt Rempe has to play ten minutes. To be more effective than Tyler Pitlick. And earlier today, I saw someone talk about you know the bargain bin hunting that Drury has, has done over the uh, during the offseason over the summer. And it doesn't always work out. We know this, but Vizia and Brodzinski are examples of when it does work out. And I have no problem going for guys like Benino and Pitlick. As long as you have a general manager and a head coach who are willing to cut the cord to you know to to say this is this is this is it when it's clear that those players are no longer helping the team win and Benino had his contract terminated Pitlick is now in Hartford and the replacements are Adam Edstrom and Matt Rempe and and I think the, they they make the Rangers a tougher team to play against they make the Rangers better so I'm very happy to see them on the team and see them succeed even though it's still early in their careers and I don't think we should limp it, limit uh, Rempe to five minutes. I think, as you said, and you were getting to this, uh, it's only two games. Yeah. And you mentioned, is Pitlick, is Rempe more effective in five minutes than Pitlick is in 10? Well, I do agree that you with, that Rempe is more effective in five, but I don't think that's the... I think we're going to keep seeing the boundaries push with his playing time. Mm-hmm. And I they're not, they didn't call Matt Rempe up and send Pitlick down and have... Uh, like have the chance of Pitlick being picked up on waivers just to play Rempe five minutes a game. They're going to keep working him in. 
they're going to keep playing him more and more, keep giving him more responsibility. He he was in a role of defensive responsibility in Hartford. They're going to keep giving him the opportunities to prove that maybe he can be a Brian Boyle type. And he's probably even a better skater than Brian Boyle ever was. So with his size, with his speed, and if he can prove he could be more defensive, imagine him on a penalty kill. Now, that's probably not a this year thing. Probably next year. Well, and that's the question, Jack. That's the question, right? Because again, it's the prism of to win a Stanley Cup. And say what you will about Pitlick and and, and when he was with Goodrow and VC is Laviolette started that line many times. That was the matchup line. Now he's matching up Zabanajad against the top centers. And this is now a protected fourth line. And I don't think you can win a Stanley Cup with a protected fourth line, which is why these next six games are so interesting and crucial because they have to decide. And maybe they'll decide Edstrom's their guy and Rempe is more of a next year situation. And mm -hmm. they go out and they get a cheap body who's big and tough to play against, something like that. Because I just think I, I just think that's why these six, these next six games are important because they need to go into the playoffs with a fourth line they can trust because their third line is not that much of a matchup line either. Brzezinski is just okay defensively. I, I he sometimes he doesn't know what to do with the puck all the time. He's he's good, but he's not trusted. He's not on the PK. He's not out late in the games when they're protecting a lead. You can see he gets slightly sheltered also by uh, by Laviolette. Yeah, and and that's also just I, I think coaches around the league do this. You know, when a player comes up for their first handful of games, coaches are more cautious. They they tend to give veterans like Pitlick uh, and even Riley Nash and Anton Bleed, they tend to give those players more responsibility because they feel that you know as veterans they you can count on them a little more. I think that's just natural for coaches to do that. But as the season go progresses and as Rempe gets more opportunities, that will can grow. Um, and and the names I just mentioned, Anton Bleed and Riley Nash, we saw them earlier in the season. They didn't really make a difference. No. And and, and there and and honestly, Stephen, as we know, they were emergent emergency bodies slash yeah. people to play in Harper, which is why when they brought up um Belzeal. He was a 13th forward, but they brought up Rempe to play. Because in my eyes, Anton Bleed, Riley Nash, Belzeal, Lashizen, their 13th forwards, Matt Rempe is somebody you bring up to play, not to be a 13th forward. And that's why I think they brought Rempe into the lineup right, right away. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you look at, and I know this is like just, just a single moment, you know, it doesn't really say everything, but if you look at how the team responded to Rempe in the locker room after the game, uh, if you look at how they responded Absolutely. when he was on the ice, you know, the guy takes on Matt Martin. It's not like he went after, you know, Casey Zizekas or, you know, Matt Barzal. He he got was challenged by Matt Martin. He accepted the challenge. And the fact that LaViolette shows this much faith in two young players in Edstrom and Rempe, I think is very is 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 very hopeful for the future. We've seen Brennan Hoffman for a handful of games earlier in the year. We have Brett Berard, who I think is still going to get a cup of coffee before the deadline uh, because Drury wants to see what he has in Hartford first. I think Belzeal, even though he's not playing, he's there with the team. He's practicing. LaViolette can see what he has in him. He knows where he can use him. He, he has NHL experience. 
there's no real need to play him to see what you have in him. But Estrem and Rempe have have so far, and again, it's just a small sample size, five games and two games. But so far, they haven't looked out of place. And I think for for a 21 and a 22-year-old 20, or 22 and 23-year-old playing in their first NHL seasons, I think that's all you can hope for. These two guys are sixth-round picks, by the way. You know, these aren't guys that they drafted in the first round or early in the second round. No, these were guys that on draft day were were not expected to amount to anything. I was at the draft in Vancouver in 2019. Adam from didn't even fly into Vancouver because he didn't expect he was, he was getting drafted. Wow. So, we, the, the 2020 draft could go down as really one of the great yeah. range drafts because you've got Loff, Lafreniere, you have Cooley, Schneider, you have Cooley, you have Edstrom, you have Berard. It's a, it's a, it's a, that's Grand. Dylan Garan. Dylan Garan, who, who, yeah. who they made, that could turn out to be an, an amazingly uh, successful it, draft for a team that's had a lot of not successful drafts, as we all know. It, it, it would be ironic that the swan song draft of the Gordon regime might turn out to be the best <laughs> Very one. Very true. Very true. Yeah, we, <laughs> In we recent look, memory. I mean, look at it. We may look back on this. If Berard becomes the player that we think he may become and Edstrom becomes the player he may become, and then you add that to the developing youngsters of um, Lafreniere, who we haven't even talked about yet, Lafreniere and, and Schneider and Cooley. That's That could be a, a, a very, very uh, successful draft. Yeah, and, and and the Rangers never had a problem like finding those those useful players late in the draft. You know, Carl Haglin, Jesper Faust, uh, Morgan Barron, uh, Ryan Callahan in the fourth round. Um, they've always struggled hitting on their first round picks and second round picks right if they can if they can hit on a couple of these and you know Cooley in the second round Othman and Perot in the first round it's looking good if they can have a like a five-year span where not they don't just hit on the on the mid to late round picks but also hit on their higher picks that's how you build a contender exactly Absolutely. so, so let's, and, and let, real quick real, real quick um you got I think at this point the bet if there was you know the odds makers, I think odds are Edstrom is in the starting lineup for game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think Edstrom's all like I he is so I'll put it this way, Jack. Affected. I think at this point he's gonna have to lose it. Yeah, it's his absolutely his fault to lose. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. He he on the four check in his own zone is so big. He's is so long, is so fast. He's literally on every play. He catches guys off guard. They're like, oh, he's 15 feet away from me, and I'm about to get rid of this puck. And then he's on them, not only because he's so fast, but because his reach is so big. And then he's so goony, he just wraps them up and smothers them against the boards. He caused so many turnovers. He pestered so many uh, players in, in, in only his two games back with the team. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Rempe, I think... If I were to bet, he ends up. Oh, actually, hmm. I don't know. I'm still the jury's still out on Rempe because they haven't given him enough time. But those two could be such difference makers on a fourth line that I think Drury and Laviolette are going to give him every opportunity. Yeah, and and, 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 and I I think when it comes to Rempe and Edstrom, we as Ranger fans should stop saying they're good skaters for for big guys. No, they're just good good skaters. Period. 
Like they're not just good skaters for guys that are six seven. They're good skaters. Like Alan Metstrom is is one of the best skaters on this team. Uh, there was yeah. a play last night where Rempe just accelerated. He looked like Kreider when he was twenty three years old. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And these guys are six seven and six eight, and they're coming at you like that. That was I, I forget. I, who was. Fear for I, I fear for defensemen now with those yeah. two guys. Because I forget, I forget, I forget who it was, but one of the Dallas Stars defensemen was nailed to the boards, and oof, like six eight Matt Rempe coming at you at that speed. That's six eight two forty five at that speed. It's it's insane. Yeah. You know, let's so let's let's talk about the young players because, which again goes back to my my thinking of a Brzezinski potentially being on the, on the, on the block as we get near the deadline is think back to last year or the year before now, if I correct myself, Morgan Barron got traded. And that was somebody the Rangers were looking at potentially in the kind of role mm. uh, with Ed Stroom. So if you start looking at who they have, and even for the rest of this year, like Stephen mentioned, Berard or next year, I mean, they already have VC, Goodrow, Cooley, Paco and Brzezinski under contract. That's five players right there, unless Kako winds up moving up in the in the bottom bottom six. Well, I haven't mentioned Edstrom, Rempe, Berard, Othman, or Socorro. That's a lot of players for not a lot of spots. So, yes, some of those guys are going to be fine in Hartford to start the year, certainly like an Adam Sikora, probably more than anybody, even a Berard potentially. But I just think we have to understand, like we had to understand a few years ago when the Rangers had all those young defensemen, not all these guys are going to be on the team in a few months, much less a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's that's something that, that there's there are more changes year over year than, than we anticipate. Right. Every year, every year, there's players that leave, players get traded. You know, players are not signed to extensions. They leave in free agency. Um, Philip Hedel might not even come back. You know, that's 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 an injury situation that that where they might rob us of a player that was on the roster this season. Who knows if he'll ever play again? Um, so yeah, you have younger players, hopefully, that can step up and fill those roles. Uh, but also, like we we may have get a guy for the first line right wing. But next season, that that position has to be filled internally. Someone within the organization has to step up and take that spot. I don't know who that's going to be, but the Rangers don't really have many options to address that 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 need in free agency. Right. So so let's let's really get into the deadline here again. We're 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 into the window where anything could happen at any time. Though I do think. I think we're in a little different situation than we've been in Drury's first two trade deadlines in that he acted early. I don't think he, he first of all, he now officially hasn't acted early because we're within two weeks of the trade deadline. But I think, as we've been saying, they need to get a look at especially Rempe and Edstrom will help determine what they're looking to get. But if you guys are under the assumption like that I am, which is, if they're going to trade for significant players, it just can't be with draft picks because there's they've already eaten into their available draft picks except their first rounders. So who would you guys say are the most likely guys on the roster or in Hartford that would be part of any packages? On the roster, the only players I could see get traded are Zach Jones or Eric Gustafson, one of the two, not both, 
they might trade Eric Gustafson for an upgrade, maybe a bigger guy on defense that they feel more at ease with. Because last season, I think Gustafson for the Maple Leafs only played two games in the postseason. Yep. Um, and forward, it's tough because as as a top team in the NHL, you want to use the deadline to add to your depth. Trading a player away is is not necessarily a good thing to do unless it's for an immediate upgrade. If you can upgrade Brodzinski for like to into a better third line center by adding a second round pick, sure, that I get that. But the other players on the team with Wheeler out, Kako, there's no way he's getting traded. And who else could they trade that has that has value? That that they that they are okay trading away. I don't see it. I don't well, see do, it. Do I, I don't look see at, a forward that that has. Look at Sakura and Sakura slash Berard. You could trade one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I was more talking about the forwards on the roster right now. I don't see a Rangers forward right now that has value, and they are willing to trade. So you yeah, have well, to look at 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 either an unsigned prospect like Yaroslav Kmelars, who's in college, or Noah Laba. Or a guy who's in Hartford, like uh, like like you said, you know, Brad Berard, Adam Sakura. Uh, those are the, well, some, the 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 trade chips that you could work with. Well, something that kind of jogged my memory is Morgan Barron getting traded in the twenty one twenty two season for Cop, right? I kind of I kind of yeah. forgot about that, right? And that was right around the deadline. We, people were thinking maybe Barron could be. Well, I remember the talk was I'm tr- trying to jog my memory here. The talk was Baron was getting called up to so that teams could get a look at him, looking to trade him, because maybe it was Baron was getting his showcase to show up him off the league to say, okay, who wants Baron? We're going to make a trade. For some reason, that energy is much different this year with Edstrom and Rempe. I think we do have to give the the thought of those two might be getting showcased right now for a possible trade piece if they don't want to part way with more draft picks because they don't have a lot of draft picks, as we've mentioned. So maybe yeah. this is actually a showcase for Edstrom and Rempe in a bigger package for someone yeah. that may uh, that bring up, you know, that Vetrano Henrique trade that will take, you know, real assets. Maybe this is a showcase for them. Do you think there's a chance that that's the case? doesn't feel like it. That's my take. It doesn't feel like it. I will, I'll add somebody else who they were able to use as a piece to trade, which was last year, they traded Julian Gauthier, right? There's another player who's on the roster. It wasn't just old draft picks. They have traded players on, yeah. on the roster. I do agree with you, Steve, in that I think it's there's a real chance in either or with Gustafson and Jones. And I and I was I was scouring names as far as who would be a good left side defenseman that the Rangers could get. They wouldn't have to give up the farm who would be perfect for this team going into the playoffs. And the guy I came up with was Joel Edmondson. He checks a lot of boxes. He's 29 years old. He was part of that monster defensive unit on St. Louis that won the cup. He's, he's a UFA. His cap hit is only 1.75. He's 6'5", 230, right? He's been through the playoff wars. He may be a guy as good as Gustafson is been and we all know what a godsend he was when Fox went out earlier that maybe the Rangers are better off having a Joel Edmondson as the sixth defenseman and and Zach Jones as the seventh defenseman going into the playoffs than Gustafson Jones I think that's the kind of guy they may be looking for uh yeah I think Edmondson is is definitely the type of veteran that that's the type of player you want to go for and 
Look, we, we always talk about looking for players that looking for someone who is a 16 game player. Right. Exactly. As and much as I like Eric Gustafson, he is the exact opposite of a 16 game player. <laughs> he is great in the regular season. He he gets you some points. And I'm very happy we had him on the team when Fox was was out for oh, a couple of weeks of injury because not on Gustafson at all. He stepped in and seamlessly transitioned into that bigger role where he he quarterbacked the power play. But he, like I said, he only played two or three games for the Maple Leafs in the in the postseason last year. He's not the type of defenseman that you want to take into the playoffs. And Edmondson is an interesting one. Of course, he has the cup-winning pedigree, although I have my own opinions on that phrase. Um, but, yeah, um, that, that's the type of player they they would they would need to add. Because yeah, there's, there's an old adage absolutely. you guys know, Jack, about there are guys to get you into the playoffs and there are guys to win in the playoffs. And it almost feels like a, a baton handoff from Augustuson to an Edmondson is just that. Because Augustuson yeah, was yeah. so good during the guys. season. Some guys get you two. Some guys get you through. Right. Yeah. Um, which, and I which, think, which which I makes think, it I mean, which makes it ironic that the Maple Leafs traded away Rasmus Sandin for Eric Gustafson. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Don't let's not get into Dubis. That's a whole other mess. Um, but I think a lot of Rangers fans obviously might remember. We haven't talked about him a lot this year, but Ben Harper. Everybody remembers. Uh, hopefully, a lot of Rangers fans remember Ben Harper from last year. How impactful he was. In his time with the team, he played like 30 or 35 games last year on the team and and was there during the playoffs. Um, that is a big piece that they've lost out in Hartford. He if, if you if we, you don't know, he tore his peck scoring a goal and is out for the season. So that's yeah. a guy that they were looking to have, you know, as a hidden gem down in Hartford who can come up when the rosters expand for the playoffs. He's not there this year. So they really he- will have to get, fill in depth maybe that's Mackie but maybe they're looking for something a little bit of an upgrade you get to Mackie he's like your perfect eighth defenseman for the playoffs because he brings something which is size and I don't think he'd be overwhelmed by having to play a few games in the playoffs because you're going to have to go through probably seven or eight defensemen to win a Stanley Cup and I I just think the overriding yes especially with Lingard I think the overriding feeling with the Rangers is yes there's the right wing score issue is get bigger and tougher to play against with speed and skill. Hence, you got Rempe, you got Edstrom. I think they're going to add that big third pair left side D, and I think they're going to get a bigger, tougher to play against center than what Brzezinski brings on the third line. And I don't mean this as a knock against Brzezinski. If you go into the playoffs and he's your 13th forward, then this is a really good team, and he's a good guy to have as a 13th forward, because he's not just a guy. He's not Jake Lashizen or even Belzeal, who's played a, a good amount in the NHL. Brzezinski, we see, he can be useful. He's fast. He's good on the forecheck, right? He hustles. And you like a guy who brings something if he has to play a few games in the playoffs, rather than just Lashizen, who, who could be invisible. in his. And, in his and speaking of Lashizen, if you don't get a third, li- a third line center at the deadline, you are one injury away from decision being your third line center. That's a great point. Or 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 Goodrow being your third line center and or, somebody like yeah. right yeah. right and, and and maybe Stephen to your point maybe that's why they have Edstrom and especially Rempe up there because those guys play center also. 
Yeah. Right. So if there was a, an injury, now maybe you don't have to go down the Jake Lachizan route, because which I do agree would be a little a little frightening for a team that wants to win the cup. But that's why yeah. this and, and why these next six games are so key. And to add to that, uh, what they're looking for at the deadline, I think we're kind of past. Now they, I could be proven wrong in a few days, and they could go out there and get the Vetrano or some other replacement top six winger. But man, I think they're kind of past that because as we know. The, de- the prices, the ask- asking prices for these guys this year, the, for some reason, the prices are through the roof. These, uh, the contract, I mean, the, the deals for uh, the guys that have been moved, uh, Lindholm yeah. and uh, and Winnipeg just got Monaghan. Those were ridiculously huge. I think, if the, I think if the Rangers made those trades, a lot of Rangers fans would have not been happy with, with the, with the, with what they gave up for those guys. Um, so I think, that top six winger, I think we're kind of past that. I think the the goal. Is you to think we're past deep. having? You think we're past trying to get a, a, a somebody to, to to score on the top on the top line? Well, unless you're willing to give up a first round pick, which it doesn't seem like the Rangers want to, because maybe it would have happened already. Drury's not a kind of guy to just sit around and wait. He he knows what he wanted. He probably gave his offer. He, we know he gave an offer for Monahan. I mean, not for Monahan for a. Uh, for uh, Lindholm, um, and it wasn't accepted. It probably wasn't high enough. He probably wasn't willing to go all in for 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 Lindholm. So, I think, and especially, there isn't a player in the league besides maybe Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon that you put on that right wing on the first line, and all of a sudden that line turns into a dynamic five on line five on five. It's just not happening. There isn't that player. There's not a combination of speed, skill, puck handling. Uh, passing and 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 finishing that is going to all of a sudden turn Meek and Kreider into the best line in the league five and five. It's not happening. It's just not happening. Their way to win a Stanley Cup at this point is depth. They need to be as deep as possible. They need four lines that they can roll, that they can trust, and that they all can chip in scoring because it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be goaltending, it's going to be power play, and it's going to be defense. They've yep. gotten so much better defensively at, at post All-Star break. They're just not going to outscore teams this year. They're not going to keep pace with a Florida. They're not going to keep pace with a Vancouver or an Edmonton. It's just not happening. They need the depth. And that's why I think they're giving Ed uh, uh, Rempe and Edstrom that opportunity because it's not going to come from all of a sudden acquiring a top six right wing that's going to completely flip their five-on-five production around. I just don't yeah. think that's happening. Yeah, and and to also look at Monaghan and, and Lindholm, as you mentioned them, uh, they, they cost a really decent package to to get them for Vancouver and for Winnipeg. But they're also playing on the top power play unit for those teams. You know, they joined a top team in the league that had a spot on their top power play unit that those guys could fill. Whoever the Rangers acquire is not going to get power play time. We know this. So if the Rangers want to go after someone to play on the first line, right wing, they need to find a guy who contributes the majority of of his uh, of of his of his ice time five on five. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of going after Vetrano. Vetrano gets only 43% of his points five on five. Career-wise, before this season, he had one 40-point season. Just like Kako. One 40-point season. That's it. When he was in New York in 2022 and played with Kreider and Zabanajad in the playoffs, that line, Kreider, Zabanajad, Vetrano, Ranked 42nd out of 45 lines with 40 minutes or more. So is that not good? Is that not good? 
Sorry, is, is, that, is, that, is, is that not good? <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that's not good enough. Uh, in <laughs> um, expected goals for, they ranked forty second out of forty five lines in the postseason in twenty twenty two. The Rangers got to the Eastern Conference Final with very opportunistic hockey, some lucky bounces, and mm-hmm. elite goaltending when it mattered. And that's not going to happen. You're not going to win a cup that way. If the Rangers want to bolster their top six, they have to find a guy who contributes five on five, who makes deadline better five on five. Fatrano, in my opinion, is not that guy. Um, so, so Stephen, maybe this is why we read Larry Brooks and we hear that the Rangers have, you know, aggressively inquired about Alexander Wenberg because he's not that first line right wing, but he's a pretty good center who's big, who's had success who would make that third line better as good as Brzezinski has, as well as Brzezinski has played. He does make that third line better. And maybe that's their sort of all in chip where maybe they do give away a first rounder. Cause I think, I don't think it, listen, this is why the job is so difficult. You have to balance the future and the now. And I think as long as the Rangers think they could legitimately make a run at the Stanley cup, I don't think they're going to hold back. And maybe, maybe the desire is going to be to get, a big left side D and the right third line center and figure out the right wing as we go. And maybe VC becomes as good as anybody else for the reasons you've pointed out, Stephen, that it's not like Vetrano would, would, would yeah. satisfy that line's problems anyway. Yeah. yeah and, 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 and oh, sorry, Venberg is, is a really good example of a guy who helps you five on five. Right. Uh, I think he has 22 or 23 points a season, 17 of those come five on five. Yeah, it's, that's where he gets all his time. That's right? and, like and, that. and, for the exact same reason, I would love the Rangers for the Rangers to go after a guy like Ryan Hartman. Although it's a little harder now that he signed an extension, it's still possible, but not as likely. Hartman, 72% of his points come five on five. That's the type of player the Rangers need. The last thing the Rangers need is a power play merger. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and they're not, and, they, and especially there's just, there just isn't that guy with the Rangers' current configuration, it's just going to turn around their their top six, five and five production. It's just, it, there's nobody, they, there's nobody elite right now. There's no elite uh, guys available. There, there's no Kucherovs or McKinnons or McDavid's. Like maybe last year you could say Tarasenko was elite, but he's not available this year. They're not getting Tarasenko. So there isn't an elite guy to completely change that top line's production. Five he may five. be available. I just don't know if they're going to go try to get him this year. He may be available. Yeah, the, the, uh, problem, the problem with Tarasenko is the cap hit, though, because the Rangers only have $5.2 million in LTI space, and his cap hit is $5 million, and they cannot acquire him with retained salary. Right, that's the problem. Yeah. Because so, he, was, he was on the Rangers roster in the last 12 months. That means he cannot be acquired in a trade with retained salary. All right. This is a little arcane bit of information, and everybody should listen again to what Stephen's saying because Ranger fans think, or most Ranger fans think, that oh, he makes five million, they retain fifty percent, two and a half. Rangers have about four point four of salary space at the deadline, no problem. Not the case with Tarasenko. Say it again, Stephen. Tarasenko, and the same goes for Patrick Kane. Anyone who is on the Rangers roster in the last 12 months cannot be acquired with retained salary. Tarasenko was on the Rangers roster until June 30th. So that's when that limitation expires. 
Right. So basically, uh, there's no, there's no. Now, can a third team get involved to bypass that? No, because that would still be considered a retained transaction. If another team retains money, then it's still a retained transaction because a team has retained money on that contract. So the only way they could, sorry, finish, finish. The only way they could acquire Tarasenko is if they would send money the other way, like Goudreau's contract, for instance. They would clear three point six million. That would make it work. Right. So for all listening to this. Tarasenko almost assuredly will not be a Ranger no. come March 8th. And to add to that Goodrow thing, just one more time, Goodrow, as a lot of frust- Rangers have been a lot of, has had a lot of frustration with his contract and his production, and that's fair. But as we talked about earlier, there's guys that get you to the playoffs and there's guys that get you through the playoffs. And Barkley Goodrow's 3.6 is to get you through the playoffs. That's where, if you guys remember, it he he it caused him to get an injury, but in game one in 21-22 against Pittsburgh on the PK, he threw himself in front of a puck the first chance he could and shattered his ankle. Now that was a little unlucky, and they got him back later in the series. But man, those are the kind of guys you want for the playoffs. And as Steven is about to tell you, the if you want to get rid of Goodrow, it's in the offseason when it comes to buyouts. Well, let, let's let, let's let's talk about Goodrow because because we, we we definitely want to hit on because he is as much a lightning rod as any Ranger uh, player is to the fans because of his contract. If he was making eight hundred like VC or what Brzezinski makes or what the kids make or what Cooley makes, nobody would be saying anything about VC. It's that this big fat three point six and change is staring everybody in the face, and it's like, why do we have a guy that won a, two cups for somebody else? that we're now paying for rather than using our own guys, which they're clearly trying to do with the Edstroms and the, and the Rempies. So, so a couple quick points about, about, um, about Goudreau. First of all, he is exactly what Jack just said. He's the kind of guy. So there's no way they are trading Barkley Goudreau. First of all, the salary makes it almost prohibitive and there's no reason to trade him this year where it becomes interesting. And this is what I want to get into is when do you potentially buy out Goodrow? So the, the, here are the nuts and bolts. He has three years left on his contract after this year. The bottom line when it comes to, and Stephen's going to get into the particulars, is you double the length and it's two-thirds of the cost. So it's 3.6 times 3 million, two-thirds of that spread out over six years. Or if you feel you have another year of Barkley Goodrow at near his peak at 31 years old, then you could potentially buy him out after 2025 and only have two years, two-thirds of that spread over four years. The other variable in all this, quite frankly, is Filipino, because Filipino is either going to be part of the cap, and boy, we all hope that would be the case, because that would be the best news for for Hedl. But if it turns out the best thing for the young man is not to play, the Rangers suddenly have a contract that doesn't exist anymore. So, so Stephen, talk about the benefits actually of what I think a lot of fans may think is not the logical place to buy out Goudreau, which would be after 24-25. Yeah, so if the Rangers buy out Goudreau in 2025, uh, their cap penalties would be 700000 3.2 million, and then 800000 for back-to-back years until 2029, which sounds like a very favorable buyout. The only big cap penalty year you have is the final year of his contract at 3.2 million now if you buy him out this summer 
One one thing, Stephen, but you yeah. would be paying his full three point six and change next year then because he's playing on the team. That's one you thing would, you on. would pay him the full three point six this upcoming season because he'd be on a team. Right. If you buy him out in 2024-25, so this upcoming summer, the buyout is two years longer, of course. Starts in 2024, ends in 2030. But the first season, 24-25, you get a cap benefit, which is very rare for a buyout. So you don't just free up the 3.6 million of his contract, you free up an additional 250,000. So you add 3.8 million in cap space that first season. Then you have a $1 million cap penalty. Then that final year in the other buyout will be 3.5 instead of 3.2, and then three years of 1.1 million. So So that's that's if you buy him out after this year. Yes. Correct. Correct. So the buyout is a little longer, but you get rid of him right away, which opens up 3.8 million this upcoming season. Now, if the Rangers have someone that they're eyeing who can improve the team significantly that they need that money for, buying him out this summer is is not as far-fetched as people might think. Right. And, and Steve, just to use a, a simple example, and again, I'm not advocating for him just as an example, Frank Vitrano, Ranger fans always talk about it, we just talked about, is not, even though he may not be the right person, he's not only signed for this year at about 3.6, I believe, he signed for next year. Yep. So if you if you liked him so much, you could make the trade, not worry about him fitting under the cap for next year if you then buy out Goodrum. Correct. And the only bad year in, in either buyout scenario is the 26-27 season, where it's 3.2 or 3.5 million. But if you don't buy him out, the, the cap hit for that season is 3.6 anyway. Right. Yep, right. So e- either way, it's a very uh, favorable buyout scheme for the Rangers. And, and, and as far as one last point, Jack, as far as Igor goes, because Igor is up after next season. So it really doesn't change anything for 24, 25. And then going into the next years, it's only a few hundred thousand dollars a year more if you buy him out this coming summer. So it really doesn't impact Igor's potential new deal that much, whether you buy out Goudreau or not. Yeah, the, the, the difference in cap penalty between a buyout in 24 and a buyout in 25 is like $300,000 a year. A year. So it's not going to impact. Especially with the cap going up now, we're we're through the the COVID winter, and the cap's going to be going up, so things should should be a little uh, a little better. Let, let me let me say this: if three hundred thousand dollars in cap space is going to bottleneck you, you have bigger issues. Correct. Right. <laughs> uh, quickly to add to what you guys were saying in regards to the deadline, and you know maybe possibly having to move a player currently on the roster in order to free up space for someone they're acquiring. How about, and I don't think any we've discussed this, and I haven't heard about this discussed anywhere, so maybe it's wrong, but hear me out. They might just send Edstrom and Rempe down post-deadline because they can, because they are waiver-exempt. They're still rookies. So you could acquire uh, a third-line center, acquire maybe another depth uh, defenseman, and just send the kids down and then bring them back up for the playoffs because – they or uh, they'll they'll run into cap issues because the, the uh, as I'm my understanding the there is no roster limit after the deadline, and then the cap limit is off out of outside of the playoffs. But they would be over the cap if they kept Edstrom and Rempe on, but they could just send them down after the deadline because they're waiver exempt. So you could just acquire your guys, acquire your trade pieces, and send the kids down and bring them back up for the playoffs. 
Is that true? Yeah. So if you acquire a player at the deadline, you have to also account for the player they replace. So if a player replaces Alex Belzeal on the roster, who's also waiver exempt, by the way, um, you have to subtract that $775,000 cap hit which you could technically add to your LTI space for the calculation of how much you can afford. Um, the other thing I quickly want to mention is on deadline day, the Rangers might send Will Cooley down to Hartford. And there's no need to panic. It's, it's, it's a paper transaction. Just in case the Rangers have an early exit in the playoffs, that would make Will Cooley eligible for the AHL playoffs in Hartford. You have to be on the AHL roster on deadline day to be eligible for the AHL playoffs. Just saying there's a possibility that Cooley goes down to Hartford on paper just for one day around the deadline. They may and, do that with Rempe and, and Edstrom also then. Yeah, yeah. Although Rempe and Edstrom would, would be less it would be less of a shock if they go down. The reason I right. mentioned Cooley is because he's been a roster player all season long. So that might surprise people if that if that news Yes, yeah, I don't think – my way. guess is, Stephen, they don't do that. I don't think they look at Will Cooley after a full year of the NHL and let's say at least one round of the playoffs of having to go back to Hartford and play in the playoffs. That's just my take, but we'll see. We'll yeah, see but if, there's there's no harm in doing it. It, it doesn't it doesn't affect the roster at all. No, I know. Your, your, your point of whether it affects the roster is yeah. absolute. It does not affect the roster. I just don't think they're going to they're, they're, they're gonna do it. Um, looking – you know, we've talked a little bit about how they'd fit in some certain players next year. But let's talk about even in the future a little bit. I know there's a, there's a prospect we want to get into that Stephen wants to profile and then we'll weigh in on where the Rangers may, in quotes, have really hit it out of the park with the number 23 overall in the 23 draft in, 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 in Gay Perot because he is off to a sensational start as a freshman and a, not a freshman in college hockey who, as we know many times, is 21 years old. He's a true 18-year-old freshman. He doesn't turn 19 until May. So he's actually a young college freshman. And he is having an unbelievable year with uh, Boston College. Yeah, and and what can we say about Gabriel Perot that hasn't been said already? I think every Ranger fan knows about him because he is the most covered Ranger prospect by fans, even by MSG Networks. They, they 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 talked about him more than about any other prospect in recent memory, and with good reason. The 23rd overall pick, I seriously think this guy can win the Hobie Baker, and he would only be the fourth freshman ever to do so. After He Paul, might be the only Paul, true freshman to do that also. Were the other guys true freshmen? Yes, Paul Correa, Jack Eichel, and Adam uh, Fentilli. But, I mean, were they 18 years old, or were they a little older for a freshman? That's maybe something to look into. We would just have to look at birthdays to see if he he would be technically the youngest. By so, few. I, now, Ico and Fentilli did it in their draft year before they I, were drafted. So, mm, okay, Perot Perot okay. would be a year older than them. Um, gotcha. But yeah, his his point totals are crazy. Uh, One point six six points per game. Uh, for for a guy that's eighteen years old is is ridiculous that that line in boston with will smith and ryan leonard you know they played together for years everyone knows this for the ntdp they played together in the world juniors um and will smith a fourth overall pick and ryan leonard i think eighth, a, eighth, a eighth. seventh or eighth okay eighth, eighth. eighth overall I mean, pick Steven, basically it's three top 10 picks if parole slid down to 23 that's incredible the rangers got a top 10 pick late in the first round that's 
that's amazing. Um, and if if you look at his point totals, it's it's just it's ridiculous. Uh, the only player around the same age that can keep up with him is Macklin Celebrini, who was the projected first overall pick this upcoming draft. Yep. Everyone yep. else who was in that same uh in in that same ballpark point wise is either 21, 22, or 23 years old. Yep. It's, it's crazy. Um, so Adam Fantilli and Jack Eichel in their draft years had a higher point per game total than Gabriel Perot. Uh, but his his point per game total uh, among 18-year-olds is higher than Jaden Schwartz, higher than Zach Parisi, higher than Logan Cooley, higher than Clayton Keller, Brock Besser, uh, Dylan Larkin. Uh, Jonathan Taves, he's outscoring all these players at the same age in college. So, Stephen, if he's anything like Jack Eichel or Adam Fantilli, I think we'll be pretty happy about that. <laughs> and, the, and the thing yeah. about Perot is, it's all those numbers Stephen gave are great, and it's one of the maybe the main reason why everybody's excited. But what really makes me excited is, unlike any other Ranger prospect, he looks like a modern NHL player. And what I mean oh. by that. You look at even Loff, Lafreniere, and Kako, they don't shoot the puck in the modern way. Loff doesn't have the scoring touch. We haven't even, those guys are for another podcast. And you look even at their top prospects currently now. Um, Sakura and Berard, at best, and this is not a knock, will be pains in the butt to play against, will be really useful NHL players. Othman's the interesting one to me because I don't know where he falls yet as far as a tweener or a top line guy or a top six guy I should say because he wants to play like Matthew Kachuk but he's not as big or strong as Matthew Kachuk and probably isn't as good a skater but Gabe Perot he's the one that has that modern NHL slitheriness if I can come up with that word because that's what he is he's slithery he's sneaky he's deceptive he's cerebral he made a play the other day where he's gliding in front of the net Almost before the play happened, he knew to go to the to the boards below the goal line to get what was going to be a rim around. And as the rim around is happening, he's already getting ready to pass to Ryan Leonard, who he knew just where it would be, and it was in the net before anybody could react to it. He's got that sixth hockey sense and that modern NHL skill, and that's why I'm over the moon about this guy. Yeah, you, you um, I've, 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 sorry, I've, I've heard players make comparisons, and it's always difficult to compare – a prospect to players in the NHL because you always fall into that, you know, there, there, there's always that that risk that people think you're comparing him to the upside of the player. You know, when you talk about Philip Heedle, he has shades of, of you know, the way Malkin played at a young age. It doesn't mean he's going to be as good as Malkin, but stylistically there's, there's similarities there. The most interesting comparison I've heard Someone said Gabriel Perot is Adam Fox as a forward. Mm. And that just, to me, fits to a T. The way he plays, um, the, the hockey sense, the way he reads the play. He sees how the play will develop four or five seconds before it actually happens. It's like he's playing chess. You guys have taken the words out of my mouth for a lot of what you guys have been saying. I was going to mention, uh, back to the original point, 
he's the modern NHLer. He's got that. Now his straight line speed might not be up to par with the Jack. It's gotten better. Or, it's gotten better in just one year since last year. It's gotten better. Absolutely, it's gotten better. But the and this is almost I would argue the more important speed in the NHL. But those first couple steps that I call it a a water bug, where if you know see what see water bugs on top of the water, they're just kind of skating around quickly changing directions, quickly jumping from side to side. That's Perot. Perot side to side in tight spaces has all the speed he needs for the NHL and will continue to get better. The straight line speed is another thing, but, and this is something that is not talked about enough, but his ability to find the gaps in the defense and to find openings is like, the hockey IQ in regards to finding openings is through the roof. He finds it, and if you watch his goals in the World Juniors or you watch his goals in college, he there's a spot that the defense it misses their assignment. He's there, pucks in the back of the net instantly, and he's not even that much of a goal scorer. It's it's when it, it's in regards to his passing, in regards to his playmaking, he finds those gaps. He he can manipulate the defense, and if you watch, especially his highlights in the in the World Juniors, the guy has a nose for the net and he's undersized. He was getting to all the dirty areas. He was getting to all the rebounds. He was in and around the net, getting his nose involved. The guy is not afraid to get to the dirty areas. And he has the skill and uh, IQ to get to the right spots in the dirty areas. He finds the weak side post rebounds, right? He's there for the backdoor passes. He's just, man, it's a, like a combination of Adam Fox's cerebralness and Jack Hughes isn't the exact right term, but that modern NHL shiftiness. You know, Cole Caulfield has it. Uh, um, Jack Hughes has it, obviously. Berard has it, right? Uh, excuse me, Connor Bedard has it. Not Con- not Brett Berard. Connor Bedard has it. That's that side-to-side shiftiness that really allows him to create that space for himself in tight areas. I think that's one of the things that really separates Perot along with the hockey IQ. And the only thing yep. I'll add to 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 Perot is just what Jack hit on, which is he's not that big a guy. So was, I think we all probably feel this way. He's not going to be on the Rangers next year. He's a kid. He's 18 years old. He's 165 pounds. He's going into the tight areas against world junior players. He's not going to the hard areas against NHL players or even AHL players for that matter. So my guess is he plays in college next year. And then as he's turning 20, after his sophomore year, seems like starting the AHL is probably where it is. And then he, then he gets brought up to the Rangers sometimes that year. That's kind of feels like a year and a half away is where we are for or two years from now of seeing him. But boy, there's and, a lot to, a lot to be excited and, about. And just for comparison's sake, like Perot's obviously having a better season and Kreider as a freshman who also played for Boston College. But when Kreider turned pro at age 21, which for uh, Perot would be two years from now. Um, he finishes up his junior year. Yeah, he finished his junior year in college, won the national championship, turned pro for that playoff run in 2012, which everyone will remember. But Kreider was physically more ready for the NHL than Perot will he's, be in he's two years. He was 21. He was 21. Yeah. Right? So, but where Perot will be in two years, I think Kreider will still be at age 21 more physically ready for the NHL than Perot will be, although it's a different NHL. 
Um, yeah, for for a lot of Rangers and, fans, that's that's the easiest you know reference because they know Kreider, they know he came through college. But man, guys, just know Kreider. It was a horse, still is a horse. Yeah. The guy is a physical specimen. Perot is a different circumstance. Yeah, but even then, you know, with him being physically ready at age twenty one, after that player run in twenty twelve, he still struggled. He he spent a couple of months in Hartford, played for the Connecticut Whale, which that that's another discussion for a different episode, I guess. To go after that whole dumpster fire idea of rebranding. But um Gabriel Perot, he'll probably turn pro next year, but I wouldn't be opposed to him staying in, in college for a junior year. Yeah, that's why I, I, I think I think he'll he'll certainly be in college for his fresh for his sophomore year. Yeah. Right. Because he'll he'll be 19 for his whole sophomore year. The question becomes when he finishes his sophomore year turns 20 in May of 2025, what happens then? Does he come back for his junior year or does he go to Hartford? I think that's that's well, going to be big. For, but that's well, for... Well, you, th you think if he wins the Hobie Baker this year or is a finalist, right, you think he stays in college another year? I think, as St Stephen said, I think he might turn pro. But he can't play in the AHL. Yeah, he can. Uh, oh, the, he can. He's not Canadian. The, 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 age, the age limit is only for players drafted out of major juniors. So then let's see, let's let's see him go to Hartford maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah, uh, well, a lot will depend on how he finishes this season. If right. the if Boston College wins the national championship and he wins the Hobie Baker, oh yeah, he's he's gone. What he's else gone. does he have to play for? You know, he's gone. So if he does yeah. that, he's 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 turning pro, no question. Yeah. If they lose in the final, he's staying. <laughs> Well, that'll be interesting. Well, guys, this was a lot of fun for our first go around. We we uh, we obviously even have a lot more to talk about. We could always have a lot more to talk about. But our plan is to be here in in twice a week. So be on the lookout at all your favorite ways that you generate your podcast for the uh, next edition of uh, Under Review. So for Stat Boy Steven and Jack Filippi, I'm Jeff Filippi. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you in a few days.